Ross, how's it going? It's going. It's going. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. I'm excited. I'm excited to get into this today. This is, I, I hear you have a cool story, so I want to hear the whole thing. <laughs> I mean, they told me that. I guess it's true. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to take it back today. We're going to go back to the beginning. You know, maybe there's some memories and things you haven't thought about in a while, but uh, are, are you ready to go back in time a bit? Let's do it, man. Let's get nostalgic. <laughs> okay, let's. Let's let's just jump right in. Or maybe before we start that, I should probably say, you know, what's your title? What's your business? So they call me the president, whatever that means. <laughs> My business is Continuous Networks. We're based in uh, New York metro area. We're an MSP. People listening to this are probably other MSPs. So they already know what that is, and I'm not going to bore people with any of that stuff. But we have a focus on healthcare and manufacturing and construction companies. And we're very driven around cybersecurity and compliance. Great business, great people working there. Um, been a pleasure to meet everyone on your team. So before Continuous, what were you doing? All the way back to college, I went to college for film and television. Just have always been making videos my entire life. And that's why I went to, uh, to NYU for film and TV. And so right out of college, I was going to move to uh, Venice Beach, California, and I was going to get some tiny little studio apartment. I had saved up enough money to buy myself a 16 millimeter uh, film camera so I could go out there and shoot student and independent films and begin making my way in Hollywood. And so I was lying in bed one night and I just thought to myself, you know what? I don't want to be that dad that's like 55 years old with a newborn. I don't want to do that. I just, it's that, that's not the life that I want. And so that night I made a decision that I was not going to do that. And instead I was going to go into computers. And so I changed everything I was doing uh, in my last year of college. And I focused just on computers, graphic design, 3D design, et cetera. Got a job right out of college at a graphic design firm. And that graphic design firm happened to host all of its websites at a hosting company the owner of that hosting company, my business partner today. And so that's how uh, he and I really met each other. Uh, the company I worked for fell apart. He offered me a job after I was doing freelancing. I did freelancing for maybe six to nine months and didn't have health insurance. And he said, hey, why don't you come work for me? You can still do your side hustle. You'll at least get your benefits. And I said, okay, great. And so I started doing that with him and became a developer pretty much overnight because I was really fascinated with PHP development. And so I worked for him for about two and a half years and uh, I loved it. It was great. I got to work from home, got to set my own hours. I pretty much worked all the time, but realized that working for somebody else was not for me and that it wasn't going to be that hard to start my own hosting company. And so that's what I did. I left and started my own hosting company. Uh, that was 2005. And I spent five years really building that up. Finally, at the early to mid 2010, I went to him and I said, Hey, let's just put these things together. And, uh, he said, yeah, sure. Uh, and he had the same idea. He said, Hey, why don't, why don't you come just bring your business into mine? And so in 2010, we became full-time partners, uh, just focused on web hosting. The catalyst to build continuous really happened after Superstorm Sandy in New York. And we had a data center that didn't lose power and we had people just beating down our door saying, let me get my servers into your data center, please. We've been down for weeks. Our data centers in Manhattan are underwater. Like what, what do we, you know, can we get in there? And so we just started taking on customers and we looked at each other one day and said, uh, wow, 
there's an opportunity here. You know, we've been focused on commodity. We don't know any of our customers. We don't really like, they're all spread over the world. Wouldn't it be great to build a business where our customers are right here in New York and New Jersey and we have really strong relationships? And that had happened uh, a few months earlier. One of our vendors had taken us to a New York Rangers game and we sat there with him like, we don't get to do this with our customers. Wouldn't this be so much fun? And so we decided we would we would make that pivot. And uh, somebody filled out a form on our website at the time when when we first launched Continuous and they said, hey, we've been down for a long period of time. Can you come in here and help us with our email? Our email is hosted in, uh, in our office. And we said, sure. So we built them a fully redundant cloud-based hosted exchange environment. And that was one of the big catalysts, uh, that and Superstorm Sandy, that really got us into the MSP business. I remember I immediately contacted ConnectWise and said, hey, I want to buy your product. And <laughs> we launched it pretty much overnight and started selling to our hosting, trying to sell to our hosting customers that were local and, and really build up that side of the business. And it just kind of spiraled from there. We no longer have hosting businesses today. Those have been gone for quite a few years. We sold them off about six years ago and are today just exclusively MSP. I, I haven't heard the the Tish to uh, MSP pipeline um, before, so that's 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 a first for me. It's impressive. I love it. <laughs> so, was it all opportunity like driven, or at some point did you have a like let's make a new business plan to go into MSP, or was it just like let's pick up projects? How did that sort of transition happen? We saw the writing on the wall with Amazon and and Microsoft, and that the fact that they were really going to take over hosted services. And, and we didn't want to compete with that. And we knew, and the, the thing that kept ringing in our head was we want to be regionally focused. We want to have strong relationships. We want to be that consultative mind, that consultative relationship that really can help our customers get traction with their technology and with their business. And so that's kind of been the underlying theme all along. And it, it just sort of spiraled from there. We kept finding new customers. We you know, we didn't really know what we were doing because when you worked in hosting, you'd, you didn't really have a marketing focus. You just sort of posted things up on your website. You went out on forums, you engaged with people and you posted offers, you bought banner ads, you know, all that kind of stuff. Did SEO and, and people found you and came and bought because everybody, I mean, back then, back in the early 2000s, people were crazy to get online. They were crazy to get on the internet. Everybody wanted a website. I want an e-commerce website. I want to sell this. I want to sell that. So it was easy. And then when it came to building these relationships where trust was much more of a factor, we didn't know what we were doing. I remember when, when Jason came to me, my business partner came to me in 2015, I think it was late 2014. And he said, hey, I found this marketing system. You got to check it out. It's called the, um, the marketing toolkit. <laughs> and I was like, what? A toolkit for what? I'm like, it sounds like a bunch of garbage. And he goes like, no, you got you to check it out. It's called Technology Marketing Toolkit. Like, go check it out. And so we did. And we got on the phone with the guy and he sold us and um, got us to Robin Robin's bootcamp that year. Kind of got hooked on everything Robin was, was saying ever since. And so that's how we got into that community was in 2015. And honestly, it's how we know you guys. So did you know what an MSP was before that? Or we knew what it was. We knew the term IT services, I think is probably what we were calling it back then. You're really testing my memory here. <laughs> <laughs> IT services, I think is what we call it or managed IT services or something like that. We knew what the term was, but we weren't really using it at the time. It wasn't until we got into the community and started meeting other MSPs and, you know, getting into peer groups that, that we sort of, that term sort of came ubiquitous in the business. 
So a lot of the skills are obviously transferable, like the operational excellence I'm sure you had to have to run a hosting company. I'm sure both of you were very strong and technical, you know, able to set things up. But I'm sure a lot of it was new too, right? You were selling online, banner ads, very transactional services, where now you're out in the field and you're, you know, learning to meet someone in person and sign contracts and that kind of thing. And then also building out the professional services and the MSP and the help desk and all of that. How did that transpire? Did you all just, did you both just learn or did you hire someone? Like what, what were the early days there like during the switchover? Some things were easy. Service desk was easy because we ran a 24 seven, 365 service desk for years and years and years and years. And if you didn't respond to somebody in five minutes, they lost their mind and they went out and posted negative reviews about you. And so we were just used to having lightning fast customer service with a competent engineer on the phone or via email. It just wasn't, that wasn't a strange thing to us. We, we just got that. We also were not strangers to the monthly recurring revenue model. In fact, we were strangers to the non-recurring revenue model because we never really sold IT projects. Every, our entire worlds were monthly recurring revenue. We're like, wait, people do anything other than monthly recurring? That's crazy. That's just how we thought. So where many MSPs kind of came from that break-fix model and tried to move to MRR, we were already in that world and it wasn't complicated for us at all. I think some of the things that were really challenging for us were how to market to these prospects, how to build trust and how to continuously deliver on that service that made them feel like they had that trusted IT IT person, that trusted IT brain that was really understanding their business. That took a lot of time for us to really get that and understand that. We had great employees that helped us through a lot of it, but I think it was really, and you know, I don't, I don't mean to say like, I don't mean to say it was all us, but in the early days, it was all us. Uh, that was the things that Jason and I did. We just really poured our heart and soul into learning how to do this and trying to figure out how to find the right people. I remember, I think it was 2011 where we hired our, our director of customer service today. She's been with us ever since. And we were very much a hosting company back then. And so that's how she started as a salesperson in that hosting company. And she's helped us a ton. Like she just has brought a lot of outside ideas uh, and things that we didn't understand. And so that kind of has snowballed over the years of, of us bringing in other great employees to really understand things that we didn't to help us kind of master that. And then and then working with consultants, working with people that knew things that we just didn't because we we had to admit, hey, there's a lot of stuff we don't know, especially when it comes to marketing and sales. Talk to me a little bit about the partnership, because I think having a really good partnership at the foundation of a business is extremely important for the success. I see so many businesses start with a part with a business partner and fail because they don't get along or whatever. You know, I know you and I know Jason, there's definitely a little bit of uh, yin and yang there where, you know, I can see that just just from knowing the two of you. How did that develop and do you attribute it to your success? And did you learn things over the years? Like what, what, how do you, how did you approach the partnership in the very beginning? And do you approach it similarly today? I guess is the, the real question. <laughs> no, that's a great question. And an important question reminds me of an HTG meeting. I was at a few years ago where I was listening to a lot of other members of the group talk about how many partners they had and how complicated that had become as they acquired other businesses and they gave people equity and they, you know, more chefs in the kitchen. 
And I remember Jason and I looking at each other during that meeting and go, we will never let that happen in our business. That's just not something we're going to do. But the partnership was actually interesting because before I quit working for him, I went to him and I said, hey, you know, you'd get a lot farther in this business if you took on a partner. And he said, yeah, you're probably right, but I've been burned by some partnerships in the past and I'm just not interested in it at this point. And that helped me make my decision to leave too, because that's what I was really interested in was buying my way in, into his business. And so I just had to go out and prove myself, prove to myself that I could do it, prove to him that I could do it. And I did. And so it was more so his idea when I came back to him to, to do that because he saw everything that I was doing. And he was like, okay, this guy's not who I thought he was. And uh, at least in that respect, and there's a there's a good opportunity here. And it was Weird in the beginning. I remember when we sat down at a restaurant one night talking about how we were going to merge these companies. And I told him I wanted check writing authority. And he went, oh, <laughs> which is funny because I don't write any checks. He handles all that stuff. <laughs> but uh, it was more about the trust. Uh, you know, it was like, uh, we have to have this trust right out of the gate. And we're going to both have to take a risk here. I'm taking a huge risk by putting my business into yours. And you're taking a risk by taking on another partner after after having been burned. And so we're we're not funded. We're completely organically grown. Jason and I have bootstrapped this entire company over the years, and we're both very very proud of of doing that, knowing that we're that we're debt free, and that we don't have any of those types of issues that are creeping in, or you know, some outside investor trying to force us to change who we really are, which would change how we how we offer what we do and what we provide to our clients. We're lucky. We're lucky because we we have become like brothers, and you know we treat each other like family. Uh, we've become family, and that trust is so critical to making sure something like this continues on. Doesn't mean we don't fight. We do, and he and I disagree on some things. He has a very different way of handling things that I do, but we're both respectful of each other, and we both understand where the other one is really passionate about something. And I don't step on his toes, and he doesn't step on mine. We each allow the other person to really take the parts that we know they are very talented in, and run with that, and and not get in the way and stop them. We believe in each other is what it really comes down to. There's an alternate reality, maybe. And I'm saying this not because anything Jason does, and I see this in a lot of other people, or it's very common, where you leave, you start a business, and, and Jason says, oh, this guy burned me, you know, whatever, he's my rival, I'm never, I'm never working with him again. And then, you know, continuous networks never happens. It never turns into the MSP that it is today. You never have all that success over the past couple of years. How important do you think it is to maintain relationships throughout the years, uh, especially with employees, even if they're leaving you or they want to do their own thing and letting people reach their true potential and not just sort of demanding loyalty or something like that, just to, you know, I, I kind of see that in, in mistake a lot in businesses. And when I hear stories like this, I'm like, wow, like it's so, so important to just let people you know, do their thing and, and, you know, they could come back and, and turn into something amazing. No, absolutely. And, you know, it's funny that you bring that up because I think there is a value system that really exists in, in what you just said. And it's alive and well in our business today. We don't spite people if they decide to move on. It doesn't happen a lot, but it just happened to us. We had an employee move on and uh, we had an all hands meeting. We got together and and I said to everybody, listen, we need to celebrate the fact that she's made a decision to move on in her career. 
and we want her to be as successful as she can possibly be. And, and I said to her directly, you know, listen, you've got to do what's right for you. I'm not upset. I'm not mad, but like, this is a business. We'll move on. We'll find somebody new. I appreciate any help you can give us. But at the end of the day, if you can't be successful here working with us, then it's so much better if you move on. I don't want to keep unhappy people here. And, and I'm not mad at you for doing what's right for you. you. You're not me. This is my dream, not yours. So if you, if, if our goals and our purposes align during that period of time, that's, that's great. But if yours change, then you got to do what's right for you. And I think Jason very much had that, that feeling. And I very much had that feeling when I did it, we didn't burn bridges. He just said, okay, you know, you got to do what you got to do. And I wish you the best. And there was, there was no hard feelings and, and that maintained that relationship. So can you talk to me a little bit about how the partnership worked operationally over the years? Like, did you d sort of divide thing up, things up and, you know, I've, I see you a lot more doing a lot of the marketing and that kind of stuff. So do you take a lot more of the go-to-market and Jason more on the finance and operations? I don't know. Like, how did that sort of start out and has it changed over the years? It has changed quite a bit. So when I first came into the company in 2010, uh, my role was chief operating officer. And so I wasn't focused on sales or marketing exclusively. I was literally just operating and, and managing all the departments and working with every single one of them. I kind of realized that I had a love for sales when I went out and started meeting clients and I got to do that dog and pony show. I really enjoyed meeting them and spending time with them and, and demonstrating to them how they could get results using the systems and processes that we were building. And so that kind of started really happening 2012, 2013, 2014, but I was still very much operationally focused and very, very, very technical. I have a very broad technical background. I worked as the CTO for the company for many years, uh, 2016, 2017, 2018. So during that time, Jason was the one that was focused on sales and marketing, and he was the one that had found technology marketing toolkit in 2015. So he kind of took that and ran with it while I focused on really the tech. Jason always did finance. That's always been something he's been hugely talented at. And so I was happy to do it because I don't like it. <laughs> and um, I'm, I'm happy to, to, was always happy to have him handle that part of it. But he, uh, he did that in, along with sales and marketing. And I pretty much did everything else. In 2018, I made the decision that I wanted to start changing some things. And so I kind of just went to him and said, I want to take over sales and marketing. We had a salesperson that we had just let go that we had spent a lot of money on and didn't work out. And I said, I believe I can do this. I'm going to be that sales guy. I'm going to go out in the field and start selling. And so before I even touched marketing, I just focused on sales. Around that same time, we became a EOS business. So we hired an implementer and started implementing all of the EOS processes. And so if you read the, the book Rocket Fuel, it really talks about the visionary and the integrator. And I was always the integrator and Jason was always the visionary. We're kind of shared in that role today. Jason's finance, Jason's HR. Jason does a lot of the operational backend processes. He works with our, our operations and our technology teams to, to optimize, implement automations, do all of those good things, and doesn't really touch sales and marketing much. While, while today, I am managing all of sales and marketing. So it's really kind of changed. And I guess, you know, that's something that you have to really understand as partners too, is that as we grow and discover things about ourselves and continue to invest in, in our own personal growth, we may find something that we're actually really good at that we didn't realize that we could be good at something that not only we're good at, but we actually genuinely love to do. 
And so over these past few years, that's how I started making videos. That's how I really started focusing on more of a marketing approach and branding approach when it came to um, who we were. So let's let's talk about the videos. You know, you studied at one of the top film schools uh, in the country, right? And now you are applying those skills in your marketing and I see you and you're successful and you've got followers on LinkedIn and TikTok and all over the place. What was the thinking like when you decided to go all in on the videos and really commit resources and time and your own, you know, your own marketing initiatives into it? And sort of when did that happen? Was that in, in 2018? Uh, no, it wasn't actually. It was 2020 and into 2021. So a lot of it started happening because of the pandemic. I always enjoyed making videos, but I was always behind the camera, never in front of it. And so it was very awkward for me at first to be in front of that camera. And if you see some of my early videos from late 2020, it's like, ooh, they're they're cringeworthy. Some people will still tell me, oh, they're not too bad, Ross. I'm like, yeah, they're they're bad. Uh, <laughs> but um, and I, and I, I hate to always give her credit, but she's she gets a lot of credit because she's given me so many opportunities or given me the ability to take advantage of so so many opportunities. But one of the things that really got me into the videos was what Robin had was talking about in 2021 when I was one of her Better Your Best finalists. And that was becoming a celebrity and becoming an authority in what it is you do and in your market. And I was like, you know, I love that idea. I love that idea. I've been listening to Gary Vee, how he talked about attention is the current real currency of business. And I thought, I need people to know who I am. If they don't know who I am, it's really hard to sell them. And because I had met with hundreds of businesses owners and gone on so many first time appointments to try to sell my services and none of them knew who I was, I thought to myself, you know, I got to change that. I got to get my face out there so people know who I am and they know what I stand for and they know what I do. I'm going to start making videos because why not? I've got this background in film and TV. I made videos when I was younger. My, my first job was at a public access television station. And all I did was make a public access TV show. And I, I was in front of the camera back then. It was bad, but I loved it. I made oh, we got to look those up. Stuff. We got to look those up. <laughs> You'll never find it. It's all mastered on VHS tape and three quarter inch tape. And it, none of it, none of it actually exists. on Some the New Jersey so. library has it in the back somewhere and I'm going to find it. Well, it was Minnesota. So if you really want to find it, you got to go back to Minnesota because <laughs> that's where I'm from originally. You know, it really got me to want to create. I wanted to do something that other people weren't doing. And I looked around at a lot of the other MSP owners and MSP leaders. And I thought, you know, a lot of these guys don't like it. They don't like being out there. They don't like being in front of people. And it even takes them a lot of energy to put their picture on something. And I just thought, I don't have that problem. Now I had to tell myself this, but I don't have that problem. I'm just going to go do this and say, you know what? This makes me super uncomfortable, but I don't care. Nobody else is doing it. And Jason was all like, why are you doing this? Nobody ever gets any traction doing this. Like, you're not going to sell anything. You're not going to do anything. Like, none of that's going to work because I don't see any other MSPs doing it. And I said, yes, exactly. No, no other MSPs are doing this. Like, it's just me. And I want to be that guy that's that nobody nobody else is is doing yet. Because, listen, I may have to trailblaze a little. It's going to it, trailblaze a bit. It's going to take me longer than other people who start doing this two or three years from now because it's still in its early stages. But this is what people want. They want to trust you. And they're going to trust you more if they hear what it is you stand for, if they hear your knowledge. If you can get out there and use media to entertain them. And that's one of the biggest things. Not scare them entertain them. And so I wanted to create, and it wasn't always this way in the beginning, but I wanted to create an entertainment factor with my videos. This is where things like the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air came out 
or Hacked Hacked Baby or my Sea Shanty or my Garth Brooks cover, or now I'm working on a new one that's a spoof of Baby Got Back. So doing stuff like this that just shows that, hey, listen, cybersecurity and technology don't have to be this crazy, boring thing that you don't understand. I want to bring it to the average person. It made me really frustrated, really frustrated to even on LinkedIn to go out and watch all the people in the technology and cybersecurity community sit there and engage with each other. And all they do is use their complex technical terms, engage with each other, and, and it was all just self-contained. And, and I saw that and I thought to myself, who are you helping? I mean, maybe you're helping people who want to get into the industry and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that's fantastic. But is that making any of these people safer? Is that making any of these businesses safer? Because it's the people who don't care about technology and cybersecurity that need to understand these things. It's them that needs to understand how to identify a fake email. It's them that needs to understand why going through the inconvenience of multi-factor authentication is so important. You know, most of these things are free. Most of these core cybersecurity protections are completely free, but you are not resonating with any of them because they don't understand a word you're saying and you're not making it relevant. You're not making it relatable and you're not making it interesting and engaging to these people. And I wanted to change that. I wanted to change that. I said, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to speak to an entirely different crowd than the other people in my industry are talking to because I think they'll listen. And that is exactly what has happened. It's why I've moved to other platforms. I don't particularly, I love LinkedIn. I don't particularly care for other platforms, but I knew I had to be on those platforms if I was going to move that message out and talk to real people that didn't care about this as their day job. So one of the things I love about your content is you don't limit it to being just an authority on MSP or B2B IT. I've seen it, your content before, and you are you know, the guy who can explain cybersecurity, IT services to anyone. So it's, it's a little nuanced, but something as simple as, hey, here's how you protect your home router, or here's how you secure your pick a technology that's a consumer technology that would not be included in your support contracts. Probably not. I don't know if you maybe include Apple TV security in your uh, <laughs> in your MSB contract, um, but not worrying about that just to be the authority for technology and cybersecurity. So when someone, one of your followers thinks, oh, I have a cybersecurity problem. I have an IT problem. Oh, I got to call Ross. That's the guy. How purposeful is that? And was it a conscious decision to focus on everything, even, even if it had maybe nothing to do with the services you're providing? Not just purposeful, surgical. It was entirely intentional to do that. It's why I moved on to other platforms because I wanted to speak to people that weren't thinking along the lines of business. I wanted to speak to people in a general way that where it related to their homes, to their families, to their personal lives, to their smartphones, the things where we see all this stuff happening. And, and what happened to LastPass is a perfect example of this. It's a perfect example. And these are the types of things that are going to keep happening more and more and more. And it's what's causing people to, to listen up. It's what's causing them to go, wow, this is more than just that expensive firewall or that expensive security training that we put in place in our business. There is a human aspect to this that we need to speak to. And that's exactly why I did all those things. That's exactly why I moved onto those platforms and started creating content there because I needed to come around from all sides and hit people from all sides with this knowledge so they would begin to listen. 
So what has the production of these videos and the commitment to going all in on them, even though in the beginning it seemed like nobody was watching and now people are, what has that done for your business and how has that changed things in terms of customers, dollars, more tangible uh, numbers for you? It's, it's a great question because people ask me that all the time. The one thing you have to be prepared for is that making videos alone isn't going to do anything to increase your bottom line. It won't. You have to do other things. It's a form of drip marketing that is really important to building authority. But if you don't have your other systems in place for outreach and for lead magnets and really connecting with your, your ideal client, if you don't have those things in place, all the videos in the world aren't going to bring you leads. They aren't. Now, it does happen from time to time. In fact, it just happened last week and we're now like a very fast deal is moving forward as a result of it. So it does happen, but it isn't something that somebody can just start doing this and think, oh, I'm going to start getting leads. Keep in mind, I have now been consistently creating videos on LinkedIn for almost two years. It started in May of 2021 when I really committed to doing it all the time. And even then it was only two, maybe three times a week. Now it's six times a week because I have the systems in place to continue, continue. And they're not all videos. There's other content there as well. But I think what you have to figure out is this video is just a medium. It's just a medium to convey a message. And it's where you place that message and how you use that message that really matters. I can create a video posted on LinkedIn and it does nothing. I can create a video posted on link, LinkedIn and it blows up. And it just depends on who you're speaking to. And if you got it, in front of the right person at the right time. It's not unlike doing direct mail marketing. You're sending out these letters and you're hoping that it lands on the desk of somebody who has that pain point right now. But they're not going to pick up the phone and call you. You got to call them. <laughs> and it's no different with video, but it's just another way of getting in front of people. And because of the pandemic, we have so many more people who are on these platforms, who are paying attention to social media, who are let's be honest, wasting away hours of their day, just consuming content. And I understand that and want to be in front of those people and be one of those faces that they see. Funny story, somebody at a conference, I mean, this happens to me all the time at conference, but somebody who had never met me before in their life, had no idea who I was, was sitting across the table from me and goes, I know you. And I said, oh yeah, from where? He goes, I saw you on social media. I've seen your videos. And I'm like, nice to meet you. What's your name? <laughs> and so it's just little things like that where people know who I am. And, and it happened now it happens to me every week where people are saying this and they know who I am or, you know, you guys talking about me in some some other, I don't know, conference or, or phone call that you had because of what I'm doing. It's that's what you want. That's what you want. And if you've got all of your other sales and marketing strategies in place, it's just going to add all kinds of sizzle to your stake. One thing I appreciate in your story is the the commitment to things and the consistency that you've done through the years, whether it's the video posting or even technology marketing cool, toolkit and, you know, the better your best and the things you've done with Robin. There are so many frameworks out there and I see people all the time say, oh, you know, this doesn't work or I'm not doing this. But 
there's an importance to not only picking it and trying it, but actually committing to the consistency there and doing it. Can you talk to me a little bit about what it was like signing up for technology marketing toolkit? You know, Jason says, hey, here's this thing. Maybe we should do it. And like, yeah, I'm sure maybe it would have been cool for a day if you went and didn't do any of the things that, you know, Robin was preaching and telling you to actually do. But what did you, what were you thinking internally? How did you execute to actually put the work in to get the results? That's a good question. It's frustrating. No matter what you do, you have to be committed to it for the long term. And you can't get discouraged when things don't go your way right out, right out of the gate. So I would say, you know, you hear a lot of stories from other members of Technology Marketing Toolkit where they bought the toolkit, they left it on the shelf and they didn't use it. We didn't do that. We started implementing its its strategies right away. It took a little bit of time, but we didn't just leave it on the shelf and ignore it. And in 2016, probably about six months later, after we started implementing a lot of those things, it started gaining us traction. And we actually closed a ton of business in 2016 using her direct mail campaigns, as well as some other strategies that we were learning. And so we had this huge influx of business, but then we got really busy with the business and it overwhelmed us and we stopped marketing. We just stopped it. And so we kind of fell off and, and, and didn't remain consistent to what it was we had been doing. And that was my fault because at the time I wasn't in marketing and I said, we got to stop. The team can't handle it. I can't handle it because our systems and processes weren't as good back then and we didn't know how to scale the way we do today. But it was really a, a great learning lesson for me because I vowed that I would never, ever, ever stop doing that again, even if things weren't going well, even if people weren't responding to my campaigns, even if people weren't liking or sharing or, or reaching out to me from my videos, that I would just take the time to look at what I was doing, dig into it and figure out how I could make it better. I don't like to blame things like the economy. I don't like to blame uh, outs external factors. I, I don't think it has anything to do with that because I think there are always people that are looking for your services. There are always people with this pain. And you've got to ask yourself, how can you become a better version of who you are? Not what are they doing? What are they doing? Like, that's great. Like other people are doing some great things, but you don't want to go do what they're doing because then you're just the second best version of it. I think every MSP should make videos, but don't make them like I make them. Figure out who you are and what type of videos you want to make and why that's important to your customers. Because that's very much what I've done. It's about my specific individual purpose, what I hope to achieve and how I want to get there. And so that belief system that I have is incredibly strong. And there isn't anybody alive in this world that could convince me otherwise that what I'm doing is exactly what I need to be doing to get to where it is I want to go. And not only that, but just continue to enjoy what I do. That's more than half of the battle is just enjoying what I'm actually doing. And so I, I stay consistent with it because I genuinely love it and I genuinely believe in it. So what advice would you have for maybe an owner of an MSP or someone working or anything really, you know, one of our listeners, I should say, who is thinking about jumping in, maybe thinking about going in on marketing or maybe even creating videos, but maybe nervous to put themselves out there or not sure if they want to commit to it or skeptical of, you know, the ROI of things, maybe similar to a position you were in before you went all in and, and um, you know, there's some skepticism on whether or not these, this video thing would work. What advice would you have for that person? Stop obsessing about the tools and the tactics and get down to the actual fundamentals of who you serve and why they buy from you. 
you have to build out buyer personas, sit down and interview your customers. What, why did they choose you? What, what do, what's their ideal experience look like? You know, ask those relevant questions and then dig into their answers. When you have those answer, answers, then start creating content, whether it's direct mail marketing campaigns, whether it's just your website, because that's important too, whether it's videos, whether it's ads on Google, whatever it is, dig into those things because they told you that was a problem and that's why they bought from you. Because chances are, if your customers have that problem and you, sol and you solve that problem for them, there are plenty of other people out there that have a similar problem and would buy from you. It doesn't necessarily matter so much the tactics that you use as long as you are connected with the message that resonates with them. And video is just one of the ways of doing that. There are many ways. And in and, and videos, you can't do just videos. It's not enough. It's just one form of drip marketing. I couldn't have done it in my early days. I wouldn't have done it in my early days. I didn't have the resources to do it. And I have a lot of time today to be able to do these things. And I have the resources because my business has grown to where it is to be able to outsource all my editing. I don't do any of my editing anymore. None of that. I, I, write, I don't even write half my scripts anymore because I've hired people that understand me and know my voice to help me with those things. I do, I do still write some of them. I wrote Hack Tact, baby. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> but yes, you, I have that ability today because I've continued to grow my customers because I've continued to deliver on the promises that I've given to them. And, and I've been able to build these systems and processes in place to help me with that. So you can't start there. Don't try to be me. If you're not me, don't try to be me. You know, we're, we're going to be an eight-figure MSP this year. We have a lot of resources in place to be able to do these things that we didn't have even three, four, five years ago, you just have to start somewhere and you have to do it consistently. Wow. It's amazing advice. And I think too, every operator has some hidden superpower down inside them from their past because MSPs are such entrepreneurial people. Nobody went to MSP school. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> right. <laughs> like the NYU school of managed IT service providers, right? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a very different world if we had that. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. Would. Um, well, Ross, what, what's life like today? Like, what's what's an average week for you? It's as crazy now as it was when we were a, you know, five, 10 person company. I don't work less now than I did back then. I enjoy my work more today than, than I did back then. But I continue to fill my plate with more things that I want to do and more things that I want to accomplish because I genuinely just love the process. The destination is not as critical to me. I have my goals. We have our yearly goals. We have our three-year goals. We have our 10-year goals. We have those things in place. We're working toward them, but they're not as important to me as what I do every day. I spend half of my time coaching, more than half of my time coaching my sales team, my marketing team, and I still do a lot of coaching for my tech team. Because I believe as a leader, it's my job to continue to try to help them be better versions of who they are today and, and what they know today. And so I dedicate a lot of my energy to doing that. And I try to be there for them just about every second I can. So the way I want them to be there for my clients, I am there for them. Whether it's 9 o'clock at night, whether it's 5 a.m. in the morning, they've got questions. I want to answer those questions quickly. I want to be there to support them and continue to push them for more. To continue to push them to achieve more. And that's where I spend a, an enormous amount of my time. The rest of my time is spent uh, doing the things, the creative things that I truly love. 
a lot of the script writing for the more fun pieces of content that we like to create, the campaigns that we're working on and really getting into who these people are. I, I still do a lot of the interviews with my customers and, and manage those relationships with them because I want to be able to ask them those questions and I get more of a real answer when it's coming from somebody they know that they've worked with for years. And that really helps me to dig into what these people are experiencing on a day-to-day -day basis and, and get that kind of information and in, in out of them so that I can create more content around those same specific issues. Sales and marketing is where my personal focus is today, but I would say that's got a massive foundation of supporting my team. Do you have any closing advice or closing words as we finish up here? This has been an awesome interview, by the way. I've, I've loved every second of it. It's good to hear that uh, all my stories and all my past aren't uh, completely uninteresting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I got to say, I got to say, like, I, I actually was really surprised when you said you're from Minnesota because you and Jason, too, I'm from New Jersey, and you and Jason just have that, like, that directness that, like, this is how it is, this is what we're doing, like, let's get to the point. And I feed off that and I love it. So this interview has had that energy, at least I think. And it's, you know, a lot of our interactions have always had that energy, which is like my favorite thing. A lot of people get nervous around it. Like I, I get, you know, people sometimes think I'm, I'm intense, especially when I get around other people who, you know, have that directness. <laughs> Yes. A dominant personality. Yes. I'm a very high D uh, on disc, <laughs> <laughs> which is, which can be challenging both in personal relationships and um, in business relationships. Wow. The best piece of advice. Who am I giving this advice to? Other, uh, just the listeners at large or other MSP owners? Because that'll, yeah, that'll change. Our, our listeners or, or um, MSP owners and operators may be thinking about starting one one day. You got to give up the scarcity mindset. You got to give up the scarcity mindset. If you go around worrying about losing your customers, about losing money, about not having enough, it will change the decisions that you make for growth. The only reason that we continue to grow is because we continue to push the envelope of things that seem impossible. Oh, we can't afford that. Oh, that's not in the cards right now. And we keep saying, but why not? But why not? Let, let's figure out a way. Let's find a way. One of my famous sayings to, to Jason today is, here's what I want to do. It's your job to figure out how to make it happen from a financial perspective. Go do it because I want to get this done. And I've got the time and the resources to dedicate to it. And that has been a huge part of our continued, continued growth. He does the same thing from a, a process and automation side. Hey, I want to do this. And, and our, our operations people go, you're going to kill the team. He goes, no, they'll, 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 take, they'll handle it. They're going to hate it in the beginning, but they're going to love it long term. And that's exactly what happens. That's exactly what happens. And it means that we're more efficient. It means that our profit margins are higher and we can continue to look at that fi those financials and go, wow, we consistently keep hitting 20% profitability. Wow, we consistently continue to grow and grow and grow well beyond the average of our industry every single year. There's a reason for that. And I believe it comes down to that mindset. Wow. Well, amazing advice, amazing closing words. Thank you so much. Look forward to see you in person again soon. Next month, next month. <laughs>